Hey everybody, Yislike here. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we start the episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by A Thousand Dreams, a developing adult liberal arts curriculum that celebrates transgression in most of its forms. Currently, the curriculum is comprised of a daily blog, four weekly podcasts, weekly multimedia lectures, a book vlog, lots of extra content on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, and a Patreon that includes exclusive content and early access to much of our regular content. You can access all of our content, including a link to our Patreon, from our central hub at a thousanddreams.org. Please send comments and questions about the curriculum to a thousanddreams.org at gmail.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Yes Like Rockadopolis. And I'm Lance Rockadopolis. Before we get started on our episode, I just wanted to let you know that we are introducing a new segment at the beginning of each episode. We're going to call it Our Week in Kink. And we want to begin each episode with this little segment because I can get a little heady sometimes in these episodes and I'm about to. And so the purpose of this segment is partly to help us keep the podcast grounded in the physical world, something like that. So what did we do this week in kink, Lance? We did quite a bit of stuff. We went to the Denver Munch. That was fun. We also went to the Scarlet Ranch thinking that it was kink night, but it really wasn't. Yeah, so we went to the Denver Munch, and that had been moved to a much more convenient location for us. And we saw some old and new faces there. We also went to the Scarlet Ranch that night, like Lance said, thinking that it was kink night, which it was not. It was glow night, so it was a night that was themed with like glow-in-the-dark paint and, and glow sticks. Well, not that I wish ill will toward the Scarlet Ranch. It definitely was not as a popular of an event as Kink Night. Yeah, it did get a little sleazy down there in the dungeon area, but we did get also get to see different sides of the Scarlet Ranch, some good, some bad. That was the first time I actually felt like I was getting a little, I was getting macked on in unpleasant ways. And we also did the belt bondage practice, which was very cool. It really inspired me based on that Danorama presentation. It was quite fun. So I can't wait to do some more of that. And that's pretty much what it was. That was our week in kink, more or less. Over the next few episodes, we're going to talk about our experiences at different types of conferences and conventions that we've been to. Some of them kinky, most of them not. A few of the non-kinky ones with some kinky elements to them, certainly. And uh, we will end up focusing mainly on 
the 2021 DomCon LA weekend, which was the ostensible reason why we were in LA at the end of August. And that discussion will include one of the play sessions that they provided at the Sanctuary LAX, which is a BDSM club. And we'll talk about different presentations at the conference. We'll also talk a little bit about kink knowledge as distinct from other kinds of knowledge that you might find in more academic contexts. Kinksters seem to have different methods of constructing knowledge than one might see at a university. And we'll talk about different reasons why kink educators in particular tend to construct knowledge about kink in ways that are quite dissimilar from what you might find in academic settings. We'll also talk a little bit about sexually contested space. While previously we had talked about the streets of LA as sexually contested space, in these episodes, we're going to talk about the kink community itself as sexually contested space, and in particular, DomCon LA and the Sanctuary LAX. So let's start out by talking about different academic or professional conferences that we have been to. Early on, I, I had an opportunity to go to an engineering conference in Key West. My first employer was heavily part of that community, and he organized skiing conferences in Colorado, specifically Breckenridge, for this professional organization. I won't name them here so that I don't potentially out myself or prevent them from having their fun conferences, but those were very enjoyable. <laughs> I thought that those kinds of conferences were perfect. They had some presentations, but most of the time it was just an excuse to go scuba diving and parasailing and, and snorkeling. It was great. A couple of other professional organizations that I am a part of, they always want to pack the schedule as full as possible regarding the sessions, the activities, the dinners, and the meet and greets. There's very little free time to actually exploring where you are or venturing out of the uh, conference venue. Another pretty good one was uh, I got to go to the Gaylord Hotel in Nashville. That was a very lovely place. But I really don't have any wild and crazy stories to tell. I probably should have stayed in that first professional organization. They seem to know how to set things up and have a good time. Yeah, I really enjoyed the academic conferences that I went to when I was in college undergraduate through teaching at a university full time. And I, I just felt like they were smorgasbords for the mind. You know, there was always so many different things to choose from and so many different types of people to hear from and meet. They just seemed very luxurious, like almost like a, like a spa setting in some ways. When I was an undergrad, I went to two conferences. One was a Native American Studies conference at Humboldt State where I was going to college. I just paid the conference fee and went into a bunch of sessions. I saw sessions on pottery and linguistics and various reparations initiatives. 
repatriation of remains of ancestors. And then I also, my senior year, went to an undergraduate conference and competition where I presented a Sistina, which is a specific kind of poem, a long, complicated one that was inspired by some 19th century French poetry. I did not win the prize for that one, but it was fun going there and reading the poem and talking to professors about it. It was very nerve wracking. That was also the time when I lost my virginity in Silver Lake. It was during that visit to LA. Talk about that in a previous episode. Then in graduate school, I started presenting at conferences more. I got my first master's degree and PhD at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg. I was technically in the writing program, but I ended up focusing really a bit more on the literature and cultural studies side than the writing side. So the first professional academic conference that I presented to was the Conference of the Mississippi Philological Association. And if you've never heard of a philological association before, philology is an extremely outdated way of understanding and analyzing literature. It literally went out of style 150 years ago. And yet, throughout the Deep South, you have these philological associations, which are basically conferences for literary scholars. It was really fun. It was in Hattiesburg. And my Robin Hood teacher said we all had to go there just to get a good start on our academic careers. (laughs) And um, you had a Robin Hood teacher? Yes. (laughs) Okay. I presented on the literature of the medieval French version of Robin Hood and Marion, which was actually much, much bodier than any of the English versions throughout the 1400 or so years of Robin Hood literature. Most of the French versions focused almost entirely on Marion's vagina slash anus. I think the French word for that would be something like cul which could mean either of those things or both. And in some of the sources that I have found, they were speculating as to whether the peasants, these were all folk songs. These were all like verses. And it was all Robin and Marion fucking and doing things to her whole. Are you saying the French version is basically um, has vagina? What's the difference? Kind of. And other sources have said that Generally speaking, people in medieval France, meaning men, thought that women pooped out of their vaginas or gave birth out of their ass. So anyway, that was fun. Um, Then the next conference that I went to was the conference of the Louisiana Philological Association. To be honest, I have no memory of what I presented at that one. It was a long time ago. But the conference took place at Nichols State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana, which is about an hour's drive southwest of New Orleans. And at the time, which was before Katrina, it looked like the sweetest, most picturesque little bayou town. It was just lovely. And we had lunch at the Howard Johnson's before we went to the conference, and it was the best gumbo I've ever had in my life. These are the kinds of things that you remember from these weird, far-flung conference experiences that people sometimes have. Yes? Southwest of New Orleans? 
Isn't, yes. isn't that in the Gulf of Mexico? Well, check it out on a map. It's not quite in the bayous down there, but it's close. So the third and final conference that I went to when I was in grad school was the Conference of the South Central Modern Language Association. And that organization is affectionately referred to as SCUMLA at my graduate school, mostly by the academic carpetbaggers from the North, of which I was certainly one. So that year, SCUMLA was held in New Orleans, which is only about a two-hour drive from Hattiesburg. I wasn't presenting, but one of my friends and fellow grad students was presenting. Let's call her Gabby. So we decided to make a weekend out of it. We left on Friday with the plan that her husband, let's call him Damien, (laughs) and my future husband would come down on Saturday. But before I can really go on with this story, I need to provide some background on Gabby and Damien. They were from Arkansas and had gotten married while they were still undergrads at the University of Arkansas. When we were in Mississippi, he was a high school history teacher and also a semi-professional wrestler. His character was kind of a big, gothy ogre type. We would occasionally go to his wrestling matches, and they were held in various high school gyms and community centers in small towns scattered around southern Mississippi. Another thing about them was that they were practicing Wiccans. They were more on the dark magic Aleister Crowley side of Wicca than on the Mists of Avalon tree hugger side of Wicca that I was used to in California. But anyway, for them, an important part of being Wiccan was being polyamorous, which wasn't as common then as it is now, especially down in the south central regions of the country. So they would frequently go down to New Orleans a lot more than than I did, and they especially enjoyed the grungier strip clubs of the French Quarter, the clubs that were just a block or so off Bourbon Street. One of them was called the Kit Kat Club, with each word starting with a K, make of that what you will, and the other one was called the Unisex Club because it had two stages. The one in the front of the establishment was for women strippers, and the one in the back was for the male strippers. I'd been to both of those clubs with them a couple of times, and at the time of the conference, her husband had been having a relationship with a female stripper, I'll call her Ashley, who worked at the unisex club. I don't know exactly what their relationship looked like but it had been going on for a few months. And during those months, a couple of times, Gabby had mentioned to me that she kind of liked Ashley's husband, who also happened to be a stripper at the unisex club. And she kept asking me, did I think that he looked like Bono? I think he looks like Bono. Do you think he looks like Bono? He looks like Bono, doesn't he? And of course, she meant the singer from the Irish rock band U2, right from the 80s, just in case you don't know who Bono was, so or is. So Ashley's husband will henceforth be known as Pseudo Bono. So on Friday afternoon, Gabby and I take the Amtrak from Hattiesburg to New Orleans and make our way down to the Radisson in downtown New Orleans, where we were staying, because that's where the conference was being held. 
So we check into our room and get ready to hit the French Quarter. And by the time we get there, Bourbon Street is crawling with these roving bands of male professors wearing their obligatory corduroy blazers and elbow patches. You could not miss them. So at some point, we end up at the unisex club, and Pseudo Bono is there in the back hanging out with some extremely well-hung African-American male strippers. I mean, I really had a hard time believing my eyes. Um, did not know that that was as real a thing as, as it is. But anyway, so Ashley happened to be working at the Kit Kat Club that night. Looking back, I'm thinking now that maybe some of this had been set up in advance. I really am a congenitally naive person. But anyway, Pseudo Bono just starts hanging out with us. He's in street clothes, and the three of us are just sitting near the stage, drinking and chatting and enjoying the show. But to be honest, aside from my amazement at how big some of the dicks were, I was pretty bored. And I probably wished I was back at the hotel room watching TV. So at about 11, Pseudo Bono offers to call us a cab. And when the cab comes, he gets in the cab with us. And somehow the three of us end up in our room at the Radisson. And I'm not really feeling any kind of way about it. Like I'm just really going with the flow I mean, I'm in like halfway through a PhD program and my mental and emotional energy is generally more focused on that than on anything else. I was just very much along for the ride. So he and Gabby are sitting on her bed and I'm sitting on my bed, which is right next to their bed. And the three of us are talking and drinking and he's doing lines one after the other. And he starts like waxing philosophical about sex and relationships. Like he's sharing some kind of sage advice with us from his standpoint of being an experienced New Orleans stripper. And it's just a classic Coke rap, you know, profound insights into serious topics delivered at a, like this feverish breakneck pitch. I mean, I'm sure he did have some legitimate insights into relationships that only a male New Orleans stripper could have. And so I'm listening and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, to be engaged. And then I start getting drowsy. And so I go into the bathroom to get into my PJs and brush my teeth. And when I come out, they're making out hot and heavy. Fine. That was to be expected. So I dim the ceiling light and crawl into bed. And they're sounding pretty like they're at it. And there's some sighing and mumbling and rolling around. And then I hear what sounds a lot like slurping. And he's, yeah, I think he's obviously eating her out at that point. And I'm really um, ready to go to sleep. And eventually I do. And then the next morning I wake up and they're both fully dressed sitting on the bed. And then they leave the room and she comes back 20 minutes later and I asked her where she went, and she said that they went to the ATM in the lobby of the hotel so she could get money to pay him with. Mm. And I asked her how much she paid, and she said she gave him $70. And she seemed a little down about it, I guess. But that was the point when I really started feeling kind of icky about the whole situation. It wasn't necessarily the drugs or the loud sex 
or even the fact that she had paid for it. It was more that she had been trying to equalize things with her husband in, in terms of the poly. And Pseudo Bono just ended up not being a real prospect for a long-term relationship. And then when I got back to Hattiesburg on Sunday, I immediately sat down and wrote the entire experience out for my creative nonfiction class. <laughs> and that was back before schools used email to turn in and share assignments. What we did was type it up, print it out, and make a bunch of photocopies of it and then put them on a shelf in the lobby of the English department. So I titled the essay Live Sex Acts, and of course, all of the copies disappeared off the shelf within an hour. I did use pseudonyms, if that makes any difference. Um, interestingly, about 15 years later, Gabby messaged me on FetLife to apologize for that whole experience and how sordid it was. At that point, she was long divorced from Damien and was a lesbian married to a lovely physician. And I replied to her that she had done nothing to be sorry for, that it was a very memorable experience and that I cherish it. And anyway, I'm a kinkster now, and that was nothing compared to situations I had gotten into since that time. That was partly true and partly not true. I have had some pretty intense experiences um, since I embraced my kinky nature. But how do you compare something like that Scumla experience to being at a bondage club or going to a hardcore, if there is such a thing, play party at someone's house? Are they the same in any way? Is one kinkier than the other? Was what happened in New Orleans kinky at all? What do you think, Lance? I think it's very sexy, but I don't really think it's kinky at all. Mm. You mentioned that she was lesbian. Did you get any inclination that she was when you were at that conference? No, not really. So you didn't think it was a kinky situation and was comparable to kink at all? Not really. See, I, I kind of think that it was just because it was so sordid. Maybe a little little bit of exhibitionism in front of you. And that's that's why I thought it was a little bit rude that she didn't involve you at all or even try to. You mean get me to have sex with her and yeah. the stripper? Yeah. Oh, no, that's disgusting. No, I never <laughs> okay. would have done that. What was rude is that she did it in front of me without giving me any kind of forewarning. That's interesting, though, that you don't think it was kinky at all. And I feel like the setting and everything about it made it kinky. Every element of it was kinky. It just wasn't fun or... It was certainly wild. Yeah, but... It wasn't fun or in any way sexy to me. So I don't know. Okay. So when I got a job teaching at a university, I continued to go to conferences of various kinds. And it was really, really fun. And they were all paid for, at least 90% of them, by my home department. And then when I went back to grad school for my education degree, the ed school also kicked in. And I got to go to conferences all over the place, places I'd never been, like New York, Montreal, Chicago. I went back to New Orleans after Katrina. That was pretty amazing. And I even did a 12-day intensive training on digital literacy at Ohio State. 
And my final project was a beefcake calendar that only had pictures of the bagel guy who delivered our breakfast every morning. (laughs) So my collaborator in the project and I got 12 hot pictures of him, some that we ourselves took of him on his motorcycle. He was completely into it. He's really very attractive Greek gentleman. And then he friended me on Facebook and I got a bunch of pictures off of Facebook of him too. And we did this project because the head of the training, who was a pretty famous professor of digital literacy, had rhapsodized about this guy's beauty at the start of the training before he even came in on the first day with the donuts and the bagels and the pastries. So we gave her the calendar on the last day and she was beside herself. She thought it was the most wonderful project that had been done at her training and that it was hilarious. And then everyone else there was kind of shocked, including her husband, I might add. And eventually it got back to our boss, the director of our program at CU. And it was a bit of a scandal, but it was totally worth it. It was it was a quite an unusual happening for that working environment. Okay, so kinky conferences. So Lance and I have been to two kinky conferences so far. The first one was in Colorado, and we lasted roughly halfway through the first presentation before I made us walk out. I was pretty much done at that point. Um, What did you think of it, Lance? I would have liked to have stayed a little longer just to see. I mean, the first one was so disappointing that it had to have gotten better from there. I tend to see things from a positive light and try to hold out hope, even though it may not be there. I agree with you that we should have stayed. That was the stodgy old curmudgeon in me rearing its ugly head. I, I wish we for sure had stayed and it was really expensive too. You know, we we should have hung on. I'm learning not to just dismiss things that I that I find problematic. And our second kinky conference was the 2021 Domcon LA. Uh, we had tried to go to the 2019 one, and of course that didn't happen due to COVID. But hope springs eternal, and we ended up getting tickets for the next one. And we went down there, as our listeners know. As someone on FetLife had advised me, I personally did keep my expectations low, mainly so that I wouldn't be disappointed if things weren't that great. But I think they were too low. I think I had underestimated what we were going to see overall in some ways. So we are going to stop here. In our next episode, we'll be talking about our experiences at DomCon LA, our first impressions of the conference itself, and our experiences at the Sanctuary LAX. Until then, have a great week.